It's Monday, October 11th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes, our Major League Baseball beat writer. Hoynesy, uh, over the weekend, we got some uh, playoff games in. Uh, we're able to see the, the Rays go up, and then uh, the, the, the Red Sox sort of stormed back yesterday. Exciting 13-inning game. Uh, just uh, watching some of these games, it sort of reinforces to me that uh, out of nowhere at any time, you can see something you've never seen in a ball game. And a lot of people really don't know all the rules of baseball as, as well as they think they do. Yeah, that, that game in Boston, uh, uh, you know, game three uh, last yesterday was just crazy. That was what a play that was uh, on the, uh, the ground rule double by uh, Kiermaier and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and it bounces off Renfro over the fence. Now we've now in Cleveland, we've all seen that happen where it bounces off Jose Canseco's head the ball and goes over the fence for a home run or, you know, goes out Bradley Zimmer or Daniel Johnson, the collision over the fence for a home run. But uh, this one was a little different, Joe. Yeah. And, and I guess there's some, some semantics and some differences in the, the, the language of how rules are, how the rules are written, uh, why the, the base runner in that situation, Yandy Diaz, who was between second and third, when the ball deflected out of the stands, but had to go back to third base and and was not able to give the the Rays the go-ahead run there in the 13th inning. Uh, you know, it turns out that Christian Vasquez hit a two-run homer to win the game in the bottom of the 13th, so it really doesn't matter. But it's still uh, it 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 kind of it it's kind of really deflating for the Rays to to have to do that uh, to go through that to think that you know. You scored the go-ahead run, and and it, you you play the game a little differently from that point on. Yeah, and the thing about what was so wild about that, as the ball is going over the fence, Renfro tried to catch it. What if he had caught the ball? Now that would have been that would have been a ball of confusion for sure. Right, and you know then then I guess the uh, you know the situation just sort of plays itself out, and then you let the runner you know go at will, yeah. and and it probably it probably helped him out. It's it's weird to see a rule like that that kind of rewards the defense for not playing good defense, and and that's yeah. the that's the source of confusion there, and that's where I think a lot of people want to take a look at, you know, things afterwards. Every year we come we come up with you know, hey, maybe they should take a look at this rule or take a look at this rule. It just seems to be more more focused when it's when it's the playoffs and the postseason, and and here in the in the division series, it's you know, it's no different. And that short wall in front of the bullpens at Fenway is is really that 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 draws a lot of attention. It seems like during the games, you know, what a couple of years ago we had that great catch by Austin Jackson there when he vaulted over the wall, and you know, there's been a, a lot of guys that just kind of flopped over that wall trying to catch balls, and uh, and, and Renfro not it deflects off his body over it. It's just just a crazy play, just a crazy ballpark. You know, uh, uh, kind of an you know one of those maybe the oldest ballpark I'm, I think maybe had that in Wrigley and there's a lot right. of nooks and crannies there and, and a lot of weird bounces. Yeah, I think those two ballparks are the the the, the oldest in the in, in the game right now. Uh, in Chicago, in the the series between the Astros and the White Sox, uh, the Astros looking to close out the White Sox, and uh, another interesting play, uh, an interesting rule comes into play as a ground ball hit to the first baseman and 
Uh, Yasmani Grandal uh, winds up running inside the baseline and, and interfering with the throw from the first baseman on a play at the plate. Uh, the White Sox get a run as Tim Anderson uh, slides across, and then they go on to win and, and stay alive in their series. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and and all we hear, Twitter just is is a is a great place to to be after these these moments, and you see the memes and you see the the commentary about you know all these things. It's just like Tony Larusa drew it up, right? That uh, that the the White Sox would would score a run on a on a weird base running play like that, uh, and and you know stay alive at least for the for the moment in the in the AL Division Series. Yeah, that I mean you know Houston really kind of dominated those first two games. At, at Minute Maid Park, it looked like the you know the White Sox were on the ropes, and uh, they come back and win this game twelve to six. Uh, they're going today, you know, with uh, you know could be an, well, it is an elimination game for the White Sox, and Carlos Rodon is going for them, and Rodon has not been healthy, and uh, you know that that I mean if if I guess if if this is the White Sox swan song, at least they got one, they didn't get swept, but it's going to be an interesting game today. Right. Uh, as we uh, sort of turn our attention uh, back towards the the you know Cleveland, Cleveland side of things, uh, the 22 season uh, as we head into the Guardians' first year, uh, was, we're trying to wrap up and, and look back at this past Indian season. Uh, Jose Ramirez named a finalist for the Hank Aaron Award, uh, award that on, annually goes to the best hitter in each league, American League and National League. Uh, he's been a, a, a Hank Aaron Award finalist before in his career. Uh, I, I believe 2020 he was. But, uh, you know, this this time he's got he's got some stiff competition. Shohei Otani, Sal Perez. But Jose Ramirez, again, just one of the elite hitters in the American League. Yeah, definitely uh, a well-deserved uh, nomination there, Joe. And I think fans can vote on this uh, at MLB.com until October 25th, I believe, okay. just before just before midnight online. Uh, yeah, but uh, well-deserved. He just, you know, he just, he is so consistent. You know, I mean, I know he's had some peaks and valleys this year, but you look at the final numbers and except for batting average, I mean, he just puts up big numbers. You know, he checks all the boxes. Right. Yeah. He's, he's the cornerstone of that, uh, that lineup and he's what makes the Indians offense go uh, makes Cleveland's offense go for sure. Uh, would be nice to see him uh, sort of take that, take that award home, but you know, not going to hold our breath at this point. I, I think a silver slugger might be, uh, be, be more of, you know, the positional award there at third base in the American league was probably more in line for, for what Jose Ramirez can expect to get this year is sort of a, a hat tip uh, and, a, and a recognition of what he did uh, at the uh, at the plate this season. That's a good point, Joe. I think the last Indians player to win it, win the Hank Aaron Award, was uh, Manny Ramirez the year in 1999. The first year right. the award was, uh, you know, uh, created, and that I think Manny drove in, had to drive in 160, 167 runs. Yeah, did he set the franchise it. record that year for uh, yeah. RBI in a season? Yeah, so that's all Jose has to do is set. That's all he has to do. <laughs> that's all he needs, you know. Well, he couldn't come up with uh, his his thirtieth stolen base this year, so he couldn't couldn't be a two time thirty thirty guy. I, I guess it, uh, 
but but he definitely gave us a, a lot to think about in the during the season. Just a fun guy to watch. Just really, and he and he's going hard all the time, Joe. You know that. Right. I, that's that's what you like. You like your best player to play as hard as he can. All right. As we turn our attention now to uh, some of the offseason dealings, and it's never too early to start thinking about free agency. Start thinking about. Uh, who is going to be eligible for free agency, what uh, what names are on the list for uh, arbitration and contract talks. Uh, you wrote a piece over the weekend uh, just talking about how the Indians are going to have up to nine guys eligible for uh, arbitration this year, and, and that by itself is going to make the payroll increase. You know, the uh, Cleveland had one of the lowest payrolls in all of baseball, somewhere around the $50 million mark, uh, and in, in 2021, that number just has to go up based on the, the arbitration raises that are expected. Uh, chief among them is uh, Shane Bieber, first time eligible. Uh, and this is a guy with a, a Cy Young in his pocket. And, you know, it's, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that he'll be up there uh, very close to a, you know, a first time record for a, a pitcher uh, if, if he doesn't come up just a little short of that. Yeah, I think so. And, and they, uh, you know, Bieber's in a good spot. I mean, it, it would have been, it would have been a much better spot if he had stayed healthy this, this whole season, you know, uh, and pitched, made 30, 32 starts. But he's, you know, he's an important part to that, uh, to that rotation, to the franchise. And you can't hide the, the Cy Young from, uh, you know, two years or, you know, 2020. So I think he's going to be in, uh, you know, in line for a big raise. You've got nine guys, Joe, right now that that are, you know, could be eligible for arbitration. Hedges, Whitgren, Rosario, Reyes, Bieber, Zimmer, Quantrill, uh, Naylor, and Harold Ramirez. Now, Quantrill, Naylor, and Ramirez, you know, could be eligible as super two guys, you know, with they're in the top 22% of the class of players with more than two years but less than three years of service time. And uh, that, that, that deadline or that kind of cutoff date hasn't been set yet. So, you know, it's usually around, you know, two years and 130 days service time. And all those guys are hovering right around there. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so, you know, it's going to be interesting. Uh, and, you know, Joe, they're also, I don't think that we'll probably all the, those, those, those nine players, you know, I don't think all of them are going to be on the opening day roster next year. Right. There's a lot you can do in terms of, you know, non-tendering guys and trying to bring them back that way. Or uh, you, you talk about non-tender uh, possibilities. Nick Wickren certainly seems like one after the year that he had. Uh, Harold Ramirez, uh, potentially a, another guy you could, you could non-tender. Uh, just getting back to, uh, we mentioned, uh, you know, Beaver's, potential in his first year for arbitration. Uh, I think the record from 2015 was Dallas Keuchel, uh, who had won the American League Cy Young Award in 2015. In 2016, he, uh, he got $7.25 in his first year of arbitration eligibility. So figure Beaver should be around $7.25, 8000000 something like that in his, in his first year of eligibility. I would, I would think more, but that's all predicated on whether or not, you know, they maybe get a, a, an extension done with him. And if that's a priority, 
if you could think about uh, that would supersede anything like arbitration. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, uh, so, you know, it's all, you know, it's all, everything is kind of up in the air right now. So, you know, we'll see how that, all that stuff works out. And we mentioned uh, Quantrill, uh, Harold Ramirez, and uh, uh, Josh Naylor as, as potential for Super Twos. Uh, we, we don't know when that date is, is, is that they're going to set that. We also don't know when they're going to set the, the dollar amount for the qualifying offer. Uh, and the only guys who would be eligible for qualifying offers from the Indians would be guys like Blake Parker and Brian Shaw. And it doesn't really seem like they're going to be, you know, paying $19 million for a year for either one of those guys. No, if they do, uh, you know, <laughs> John Parker don't jump on that like a wolf on a T-bone steak. They're crazy. So, and I don't, I don't think that's the kind of thing uh, uh, Chris Antonetti or Mike Chernoff are going to do. Now, one of the ways that the Indians, uh, that Cleveland could uh, fill out its outfield as well is by looking on the free agent market. And uh, I put up a, a post on the site earlier today, just talking about some possibilities, some of the, maybe some of the top uh, level guys available for outfield positions uh, in, in baseball as free agents. Uh, I mentioned guys like Mark Canna from Oakland and Starling Marte, uh, who's a center fielder, but you know, he could be moved to either one of the corners. Uh, also talked about Chris Taylor, who's a, a utility guy with the Dodgers. Uh, a guy like uh, Nick Castellanos and, a, and an intriguing guy in, in Michael Conforto uh, from the, the Mets, uh, just talking about those five guys. And, and I asked our subtext uh, subscribers to uh, give us just those, those five guys in order of who they thought they would want to have on the Indians roster. You know, the, the guy that they would most want to have on the roster, uh, pretty predictably because they're, they're pretty familiar with him. Uh, they they mentioned Castellanos as being the the top guy in 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 order of preference. Uh, just looking at what he's done at, at age 29, he sort of uh, reworked himself as a defender in the outfield. Uh, you know, made himself less of a liability there, uh, and you know was among the top hitting outfielders in in the National League last year in batting average and total hits. And I think he had 34 home runs. Uh, Castellanos has to opt out of his current deal with the uh the reds which everybody believes he will do uh and it's a i believe it was a two years 34 million dollars left on his deal he's going to opt out of that he'll turn down a, a 19 million dollar qualifying offer and probably be seeking a contract that pays him somewhere between 20 and 25 million yeah that's probably a little too rich for the indians i would think uh but i i love castellanos and like you said joe you know, he's kind of a butcher in right field when he played for Detroit. I mean, he was, you know, the, the classic drive in two, let in three out <laughs> kind of outfielders. And, uh, but he really improved in, in, in uh, Cincinnati where he had to play every day. He didn't have the DH option and uh, just a great hitter, really a big, big time clutch hitter from, you know, from what we saw when, whenever the Indians played the Reds, he was, he was a kind of the focal point of their offense. Yeah, and and you think about the uh, the potential for uh, where he would fit in the in the Indians or in Cleveland's lineup, uh, just to extend that lineup, he would be able to. You could drop Framil Reyes out of the four spot and 
you know, extend things and move things that are around that way uh, could be, you know, a lot of fun. But again, you're going to have to, the last time the Indians, you know, ponied up, or last time Cleveland ponied up $20 million a year was for uh, uh, Edwin Encarnacion, and he didn't even uh, last the length of that contract. Yeah, I mean, if you're, you know, they, I think they have to be a little better suited. I mean, situated, Joe, where they think, you know, they're, they're, they've got a chance not just to uh, contend, but go deep into October to make a deal like that. And I think financially, you know, you know, I've been, I've been told different things, you know, if, if, but I would think if, if Dolan can add a minority owner at some point here, I think they'd be in a better place to make a deal like that. And Cassianos isn't, He's no spring chicken, is he? I, I mean, he's I, 29. He'll be, he'll be oh, 30 okay. next year. So well, all right. That's all right. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Now you look at uh, another name on that list, a guy like a Michael Conforto, who's, you know, also young, he's, he's 28, 29, but, and, and you know, he had to, he had to pay his dues, but his 2020 season, he was a, a, a top 10 outfielder in all of baseball. Uh, he, he really fell off. He picked a bad time to fall off this past season. Uh, 232 batting average really didn't hit for power and you know the Mets were a, a total mess so it kind of got lost in the shuffle there where everybody was having a bad season in in, in uh you know in New York with with the Mets but the potential for for what he I, I think he earned what 12.5 million in his most recent contract uh, I think that was his last year of um uh arbitration eligibility so he's a, he's a guy who, if you could maybe because of the, the season that he had, maybe get him for a little bit of a discount. He would be a guy that if you could lock him up, could get you a couple of years, buy you a couple of years until George Valera is, is able to come up and, and, you know, take a spot in the outfield. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And I think probably just getting away from the Mets would be, you know, that's probably 10 points on his batting average to the, to the plus side or maybe 20, uh, getting out of that snake pit, jeez, oh man! The guy I like, uh, Joe, is is Marte. I, I really like him. I've liked mm -hmm. him for a long time, and I, I know when uh, I think uh, the, the Pirates traded him originally, the Indians were in on that. They liked him. They tried to make a deal for him. I don't know. He he may be too ex too pricey now, but well, that's a pretty well, good player right there. The the problem is what he did after he went to. Uh, Oakland in that trade, he became basically one of the top hitters in yeah. the American League uh, from the from the trade deadline on. And it was it, every time you would look up, it would be uh, Ahmed Rosario, you know, with the most hits since the All-Star break, you know, second behind Starling Marte. And he stole like I think he he's the only player to steal 20 bases in each league in the same season. So he, you know, he got 20 with, uh, with the Marlins and then he got 20 with the, the A's just from the time that he, he joined the, the club there after the, the trade deadline. So another guy, uh, you know, would add speed to the, to the lineup uh, is a plus plus defender in the outfield. If you play him in, in center, if you play him in, in left or right, I think he's got the arm to play right field. So, you know, why not play him there? Uh, and he's got a, enough pop to, you know, to hit him in multiple spots in the lineup. Yeah, yeah, that would be that would be really, you know, the Indians run well anyways. You add some more speed there. 
That'd be a good one. And Chris Taylor's an interesting guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, won the wild card game with that big home run for the Dodgers and uh, kind of a, uh, kind of a, like a Mac, Max Muncy guy, you know, that came to the Dodgers and kind of revitalized his career from Seattle. So he can play all over. I know he struck out a lot, as you said in your story, but uh, you know, that that's kind of an interesting guy right there to me. Yeah, and and he he's a, he's one of the guys that won't necessarily break the bank if you if you want to bring him in. I mean, you could get him for a reasonable, uh, you know, price and play him at four different positions. He played, he started twenty games at, at four different spots for the Dodgers. So, you know, that's that, that's pretty good versatility. It's something you know that the the, the Indians front office liked, and and just you know, just to throw Mark Canna in there, you, you've really got to like his on base uh, percentage and his ability to get on base. That's something that he does as as well as anybody in the American League. Uh, and one of the ways he gets on is by leading all of baseball and hit by pitch. I think he was uh, 27th in hit by pitch. And, and, you know, we saw that when Cleveland played out there. He, he got on base a couple of times just, just sort of leaning into pitches. And uh, he did it two or three times. But uh, it frustrates you when you see it go the other way against you. But you love it when it's, when it's your guy out there doing it. Uh, with with canna you might be able to get a bit of a discount because uh he's also had an injury history he's he's had little things that have kept him from playing full seasons uh, a couple of times in his career yeah and you know that's kind of he's he's always seemed to played well against the indians to me you know when we've seen him um he's got some power i think he can play different spots in the outfield so another interesting guy joe definitely that's a good list you put together so, you know, just chew on those guys and, and keep them in the back of your mind. If, uh, if things change in terms of, you know, maybe they do bring on a, a uh, minority partner and there's an infusion of cash and maybe they can go write a check here or there. Uh, it's a possibility that, that one of those guys might be uh, in line to, to take a spot in the outfield. And heck, maybe they even make a trade for some other guy uh, that we haven't even listed yet. And you got two new corner outfielders next year wearing Guardians uniforms. Uh, before we step away here uh, on a Monday, I uh, wanted to mention uh, something that you, you said you, you sort of caught wind of. Uh, the, the Cubs in the market now for a, a, you know, some new front office positions. Uh, Jed Hoyer over there in Chicago is, is interviewing. And you said a couple of uh, uh, folks with the Indians front office are, are on the list for interviews there. Yeah, the Athletic reported uh, over the weekend uh, that uh, Jed, uh, um, that H- Carter Hawkins, the Indians' assistant general manager, and uh, James Harris, their uh, uh, director of player development, have interviewed for it to be uh, the Cubs' GM. You know, the guy right under uh, Hoyer. So that's interesting, and uh, we'll, I think they they said they wanted to, uh, they they perhaps they could have a decision. Um, after the division series and maybe make an announcement after the division series. So we'll see how that goes. And, you know, Hawkins has been, uh, Carter has been with the uh, organization for 14 years. And uh, um, uh, Harris, I think has been with four or five years. So. Yeah. He's been relatively new. We we got a chance to talk to Harris, uh, you know, early in the season, early in the, uh, in, in, I I believe it was during spring training when we talked to him on, on zoom. And he, he was a great interview. He's just a great guy, very knowledgeable about all the players in the system. And 
you can see why Terry Francona gets excited when he talks about, you know, the, the player development staff that's headed by uh, James Harris. That's, that, that's really a, an impressive guy. Would, would be a shame for the Indians to lose him. Yeah, and, you know, people keep coming to Cleveland to find uh, executives. You know, that hasn't changed. <laughs> it's been like that for the last 10 to 15 years. So we'll see what happens with those guys. All right, and we'll also see there's four uh, playoff games on tap today. Uh, the last day of the year where there's at least four games, uh, four baseball games in the same day after this, uh, you sort of space them out and you, you're only going to have uh, a couple of series to deal with. But uh, the, the number of baseball games remaining is, is dwindling, Hoinsey. We're, uh, we're almost <laughs> to the end of the World Series, and, and that's when things uh, kick into high gear with the hot stove. We will talk to you again tomorrow here on the Cleveland Baseball Talk Podcast. All right, Joe.